0: Hi, and welcome to the August Forum. I'm your host, Andrew, and I'll be sharing the stories of fashion industry professionals, creatives, and entrepreneurs about their journeys and experiences as they advance within this ever-growing industry. The August Forum, as an extension of the shop itself, allows you to have the ability to listen to those in the space. So whether you're an aspiring entrepreneur, trying to break into the fashion industry, or just curious about the ins and outs, we hope these stories will help you to achieve your goals. On this episode, we are privileged to feature Shayna robbins Papage, the distinguished creative and co-owner of The Harvey House. With extensive experience in the restaurant and hospitality sector, having traversed the United States, she has earned a reputation as a formidable force in the industry. Throughout our discussion, we will examine Shayna's astute approach to transforming her concepts into reality at the Harvey House. This includes delving into the process of launching the establishment and collaborating with luminaries such as Alice Water and the Edible Schoolyard Project. Additionally, we will explore her passion for the world of cinema, culminating in an all-encompassing dialogue that promises to engage and inform. This is The August Forum. Well, for today's episode, I'm joined by Shayna Robbins-Papich. Shayna, how are you doing?
1: I'm good. How are you, Andrew?
0: I'm good. Before we get started, do you want to introduce yourself, who you are, kind of what you do?
1: Sure. I am Shayna Robbins-Papich. I grew up here in Madison, and I am the creative director and co-owner of The Harvey House.
0: Whoa, I'm talking to the Harvey House right now. This is great. <laughs> Before we kind of take like a deep dive into you, your history, and then kind of what happens with the Harvey House, do you want to talk about maybe some of the music you've been listening to recently or kind of some of the foods you've been also eating? What What does sure. that look like for Shana right now?
1: Yeah, I mean, I listen to all sorts of things, but I would say my favorite right now is Japanese breakfast.
0: Nice.
1: Yeah, in terms of what I eat, what I'm eating. In the wintertime, I tend to eat a lot of soup. So that has definitely <laughs> been on the menu. But I guess my favorite like go-to would be like a simple bowl of pasta and some greens and a nice glass of wine.
0: Is that something that like you do at the household? Is like your family cooks a lot. I know, you know, you have a history in culinary. Joe also is always in the kitchen at the Harvey. Your kids also like to cook. Is that something that you guys really focus on in the household?
1: We do. Yeah. I mean, when we can, you know, sometimes on the weeknights dinner, we're just getting it on the table. But when we have time (laughs) to play around and make it into a project, we do.
0: That's awesome. And then Japanese breakfast. That is, I mean, if you think about it, it's kind of like a pun in itself, you know, breakfast food.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Seemed on brand a little bit, I think.
0: (laughs) But why Japanese breakfast? What kind of geared you towards her and her work? I
1: think just... It combines a few different styles that I like. I mean, it Mm -hmm. almost has some elements, I feel like, of like 80s pop. I think she's got a gorgeous voice and it's just fun, interesting. I just really like tuning out to it. (laughs)
0: Perfect. So today we're going to dive into your journey with the Harvey House, of course. But before we kind of go into that, could you elaborate your initial introduction to the restaurant industry and then more so the hospitality side of it? Because now I know that's something that you focus on more as a creative director and co-owner of the Harvey.
1: Sure. Well, food has always been a big part of my family. My mom grew up on a hundred acre farm outside of Detroit. And so food was sort of this through line growing up. I went to college for acting, but decided during it that I did not want to do that for my career, <laughs> so ended up moving back to Madison and was a little confused about what I wanted to do, and so ended up waitressing and then also working with this personal chef who I was super inspired by, and she encouraged me to go to culinary school. So I ended up moving to New York to go to culinary school, and that kind of got it all started.
0: Wow. I did not know that. I did not know you were going into acting at first. <laughs> yep. Was there like a moment that you were just like, oh, this really isn't for me and that's kind of when you kind of shifted towards culinary?
1: Yeah, I mean, I had gone to a conservatory program that also had like a liberal arts education and so it was pretty it was there's a lot of classes and a lot of time spent on acting and my second year I just felt like there was a lot of drama, you know, well. like with the people and with the stuff and sort of with the lifestyle. And I just felt like that was not really my style and mm-hmm. I wanted something different. So I ended up switching gears and doing film studies, which I really, really loved. But again, it wasn't this deep passion that I felt like mm-hmm. was going to sustain my career.
0: Interesting. Well, did you have a favorite movie growing up? Was that something that kind of inspired you at least to go into it?
1: I mean, I love movies and... I love all sorts of movies like Sixteen Candle. You know, I think Mm -hmm. of all these sort of like 80s fun dramas when I think of favorites. Obviously, they're not the most high quality, I would say. But (laughs) I think all styles of movies and just are fun. And it was fun to learn how that all works on the back end.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, now speaking of where you went to after basically film school, you went to the Culinary Institute of America and then Teachers College at Columbia University which both in themselves are very different in the ways that what they teach and kind of what you're learning. But what were some of the takeaways that you took from both places that you kind of instilled into your current work?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there were lots of like details, obviously, from both of the schools that I got lots of technical education about and from. Mm -hmm. But I think just in general, both of them just figuring out what my passion was and the best way to get education around it. And For me, it was definitely traditional school, but it definitely does not have to look that way.
0: Yeah, that's great. I mean, Teachers College in itself, you kind of went there to learn about nutritional health, if I'm correct, right?
1: Yep. Nutrition and health education. Yeah. So
0: so you went from nutrition and health education. You kind of took that into what we'll talk about in the Alice Waters Edible Schoolyard project. When you went to Culinary Institute of America, was that when you kind of really got introduced to the intricacies of... The restaurant and hospitality industry, was that kind of what you took away more from there?
1: Yeah, I mean, the combination is, it's not the most traditional one, I guess. I was working for the wine consultant at Gourmet Magazine in New York, and we went to the James Beard Awards in 2003. And Mm. I saw Alice Waters talk about this program that she had started, the Edible Schoolyard that you mentioned. And it's a garden and cooking education program for a public middle school in Berkeley. Mm -hmm. And after she talked about that, it just kind of all clicked for me.
0: Interesting. Well, that was going to be my next question. Was there a pivotal moment in your journey when you realized that pursuing a career in the restaurant and hospitality industry, specifically in the context of your work before opening the Harvey House, was it that? Was it seeing Alice Waters basically and having that click in your head like, that's something I want to do?
1: For sure. It was definitely that. And I think like her passion, you know, bleeds into everyone that she talks to. So I think, Mm -hmm. you know, I took that and ended up quitting my job and Ended up going to culinary school, and you know, led me in all sorts of different directions.
0: That's awesome. Well, before we get into Alice Waters and the Edible Schoolyard project, while your time in New York, you worked at Commercy Tavern, where you ended up meeting Joe, but you didn't end up dating until after that, basically. You also then worked at Alice Waters Chez in Berkeley, California. How did those times in basically two opposite sides of the country allow you to have a different perspective in the industry and in your work, basically?
1: Yeah. I mean, I got to meet a lot of really passionate hospitality professionals Mm -hmm. who held themselves to really high standards. And honestly, it all just made me want to be better.
0: That's awesome. I mean, what was your time at mercy and like working with Joe before you guys even, you know, had a family even, you know?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, he was my boss. um, and (laughs) I obviously liked that or else, you know, we would not be working together now. But yeah, I mean, it was a very serious New York City kitchen. So it was really long hours and, you know, a lot of the kind of traditional kitchen things that you think of. We got paid very little. We worked really hard. We learned so much. I mean, my best friends are still people from that period of time. And shape nice was very different. I mean, people worked really hard, but it was a much... You know, usually, people in New York City restaurants, you work at some place for a few years, mm-hmm. maybe five tops, and you move on to another place, Japanese. There's people that have worked there for like 20, 30, you know, so oh many years. But I would work, there were two different kitchens. There was like a downstairs set menu, and then there was an upstairs, more like cafe style restaurant. Mm-hmm. And I worked downstairs, and we would cook for 50 people. And they would all come in between like five and six. And then we would sit down around 7.30 and eat the meal together. All the cooks have a bottle of wine and then cook the next round of diners, which, as you can imagine, is a very different style of working <laughs> than very different. What I described from Gramercy. But both of them I really loved. Both of them I learned you know a tremendous amount from. And it helped me develop some, I hope, someplace like in between those two styles.
0: Yeah. I mean, the way you kind of just described how you guys cooked for basically an hour for 50 people, then you went and sat down and eat the meal that you guys basically kind of were making. Have you ever seen the show The Bear?
1: I actually have not. I really need have to. not. I really need to. I feel like it's a little close to home, you know? <laughs> yeah. So,
0: the way you described that, that's something very reminiscent in that show where before they open, before they serve all these diners ready to eat, they all sit down together and eat the meal together. Do you find that that was something that you really enjoyed? Was basically like knowing that everyone was kind of going through it with you, being able to sit down with these people, kind of enjoy that meal together, kept you motivated to do it all over again?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because the menu changes completely every single night. So you eat something totally different every night. It's really about, you know, you're taking your cooking skills and applying them to every dish that you make for that week. I think it was a team building thing for me because I was so green and so excited about learning everything that I possibly could. You know, Mm -hmm. sitting down with these cooks that I looked up to so much and hearing what they had to say about this is a little bit, you know, needs a little bit more acid or this needs this or, you know, I would have cooked this differently. I mean, it, it was, I learned as much sitting down to dinner with them, I would say, as I did, you know, cutting up whatever it was that we were cutting up.
0: That's awesome. Do you find that you now as a leader of your own restaurant, do you find yourself taking aspects of Gramercy or Chez Pony a little bit more? Or do you find it it's kind of more of a mixture of the two? in the way that you kind of lead your staff?
1: I mean, Chez Panisse is a very, very, very unique restaurant. I definitely Mm. have not ever heard of that happening at any other place. Yeah. Any of those things, to be honest. And I think our kitchen at Harvey House is more traditional. And it's more of like a brigade kind of style system. I mean, it's Joe's Kitchen. Mm -hmm. I think it's really important for us both to have really different jobs. And he is a chef. I am not a chef. I cooked for a handful of years in mm-hmm. professional kitchens, but he's cooked in professional kitchens for 20 years and he is very talented. And I definitely don't pretend to be the chef in the family, <laughs> although he we sometimes joke about it. But yeah, I mean, I think we try to have an ethical business. We mm-hmm. you know, give our team health insurance and dental and vision and work on different things that we can do to support them in different ways and are trying to get better at that for sure. But yeah, it's definitely not like Chez <laughs> <laughs> I
0: was gonna say that sounds like a one of one of many yeah. restaurants. During my recent conversation with Shayna, it was revealed that she is highly focused on pursuing a professional path within the re- restaurant industry. Shayna shared with me her experience working in the restaurant industry, which began at the renowned establishment of Gramercy Tavern in Cheyenne. Throughout her exposure to different restaurant cultures, Shana became a prominent leader in her own right. Shanna's commitment to improving her skills in the restaurant industry led her to enroll in the Culinary Institute of America, where she honed her craft. Additionally, she studied nutritional health at Teachers College at Columbia, which helped her in her work with Alice Waters and the Edible Schoolyard Project. In discussing the Edible Schoolyard Project, Shanna shared her experience working under the leadership of a culinary powerhouse like Alice Waters. She was involved in a project that gave students and their parents access to healthy meals and food. Through this work, Shanna not only demonstrated her expertise in the culinary arts, but also showed a passion for helping others and promoting healthy living. Well, going out of Chez Panisse into basically Alice Waters' whole Edible Schoolyard Project, you had the opportunity to work under her and for the Edible Schoolyard Project as the consulting director. Again, could you reiterate what the Edible Schoolyard Project is and then how did that opportunity come for you?
1: Sure. So the Edible Schoolyard Project has grown a lot over the years, but at that point, It was a garden and cooking education program for sixth, seventh and eighth grade students at a public middle school in Berkeley. The garden and cooking and the garden and kitchen were on the grounds of the school. So, Mm -hmm. you know, science and math classes would come and do garden class to support their education in those classes and um, like history and language arts would come into the kitchen.
0: That's awesome.
1: It was great. I loved it so much. (laughs) And I think it was a really powerful educational tool for a lot of students. Mm -hmm. Uh, When I was in grad school, I was doing, I did my fellowship, luckily, writing about their first teacher education program that they were doing. And I was there for like a month and a half. And the woman who was at that point, the director was leaving to open a program in Thailand Mm -hmm. for a year. And so Alice asked me if I would stay for that year and help run the program. And I really could not say no to that. So (laughs) I stayed.
0: (laughs) What a wonderful opportunity. See, I remember, I mean, this definitely isn't our second time doing this, but I remember when you first kind of told me about it. And when I first learned about it, it was really interesting because it's not something that you really see across the U.S. It's very kind of niche and unique in the way that it operates. So for you, when you had the opportunity to do that, was that something super special for you knowing that this is an impact you're making on these kids and also these parents almost in a way that you can't see across the U.S.
1: It was very, very cool for a lot of different reasons. Mm -hmm. Um, I really enjoyed that teacher training program, which has grown into something that is really useful for different types and styles of schools around the country and around the world. And people Mm -hmm. do come from all sorts of places to learn about their model. I don't know that their model works just sort of like a restaurant. If you come and learn from a restaurant, you can't like take that exact yeah. structure and apply it to your own. It has to become your own. So I think there are ways to replicate certain of the aspects of education or certain of the of the things that are taught in that mm. program. But yeah, it's a very unique program for sure.
0: That's awesome. Well, what were some of the biggest takeaways that you got to have working under Alice and the project itself?
1: She is a major dreamer and she gets her energy from a challenge and she really sticks to things. And so I definitely try to carry those things with me and many other little things, but I would say those are those are the biggest.
0: Well, you and Alice's relationship became close. She came to your wedding even, right? She did. Wow. See, look at that. <laughs> That's great to hear because it's like, knowing someone that was super inspirational to you and having them, you know, be very close in your life outside of the project and outside of your work with her. That's something that a lot of people maybe don't have. And do you find that that's something that you hold special to your heart that you know that you had this great opportunity with her and she's still out here basically supporting you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, she is very skilled mentor. And she's responsive. And I think, you know, when she connects to people, she is available to them for, you know, advice, for guidance, for all the things. And I also work really hard in that relationship, too, and make sure that I'm in communication with her and have cultivated that relationship over the past, you know, 15 years.
0: Mm -hmm. You talked about the teacher parent program that you kind of helped out with. Were there other projects during your time there that you kind of took on that made you really realize this is something super special for you? Yeah,
1: so the teacher parent program that you're talking about was I felt like with the students at the school that they would go home and their family didn't always have the same either resources or cooking skills as they had when they came home from the program, and so we decided to open or to start this program in the evenings for families to come and participate so their kids could teach them the skills that they were learning and empower their families to either like buy you know a bag of kale that they you know had never really understood how to eat how to cook or you know all sorts of different kinds of things that felt really good we did a program for thanksgiving and taught thanksgiving cooking skills and then everybody went home with like a bag of all the things they would need to cook their thanksgiving meal that felt like it created a more whole picture so it wasn't like mm-hmm. the kid going home they weren't able to go shopping for themselves or necessarily make food choices for themselves. And then their parents felt like they were learning the stuff that they didn't know. And then, you know, it didn't really support each other. So that did feel like a good additional piece to that program. And then yeah. we started some edible schoolyards in Southern California as well.
0: Yeah. And then touching on... Well, before, I kind of wanted to talk about the edible schoolyards in Southern California, which we kind of talked about before. But for this, for the whole project itself, how does that structure... Look, are these schools hiring you guys? Is this something that you guys are doing, you know, on your own free will? Like, what does that look like for you?
1: It's a separate nonprofit, so it's fully funded as any nonprofit would be. And then hmm. there's partnership opportunities in different areas of the school. There was some work that we did with the school lunch program that the school did fund, but that was a little bit less of a continuous thing. So the nonprofit is built and funded on its on its own.
0: Perfect. Well, glad I know now. <laughs> well, about those edible schoolyards in Southern California, why did you guys choose to do some over there? So, through that teacher training
1: program, we met a lot of different educators and nonprofit directors. And one of those people was a woman in Southern California who had a massive produce company, and she was wanting to start some charter schools, and she wanted the charter schools to have an integrated garden and cooking education program to start with, so that that was really like one of the fundamental teaching tools of the school. So she approached us. And at that point, I was kind of on the fence about moving back to New York or staying in the Bay Area. And so I ended up working with her and we ended up starting two programs down there. And she started additional ones as well. But she has Grimway Farms, which is, you know, a huge produce company. And I think there's a lot of opportunity there because Mm -hmm. it's sort of a food desert while also being such a large percentage of the country's food is grown. So I think that it doesn't connect down there. And she really wanted to connect it for the students in the school.
0: What was your reaction when you maybe found out or learned about that? Because when I heard that, it's just that's crazy to me that over there, that's where most of our food is coming from in the U.S. And yet a lot of these people don't have the opportunity nor the gateway to be able to access these foods.
1: Yeah. What do I think about it? Or, yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, what was like really your um, initial thought there?
1: Well, I mean, it is definitely surprising and it's definitely upsetting. Mm-hmm. And I was really excited to be a part of, you know, educating the children of a lot of these farm workers and making their parents jobs or not making them, but, you know, reminding their kids that their parents jobs were incredibly important and wonderful. and that I think making it more elevated or making them more proud of what was happening down there.
0: That's awesome. Well, let's shift out of the Edible Schoolyard Project. What was your journey after that? Where did you end up going post the Edible Schoolyard Project here?
1: So after that, I ended up moving back to New York and worked at a place called Stonebarn Center for Food and Agriculture. And that was an hour north of the city in Westchester County. It was on the Rockefeller's old dairy farm, and there was an educational center, a farm, and a restaurant, and I ran the programming there.
0: That's awesome. And is that when you and Joe kind of reconnected? It is. Wow, look at that. (laughs) So you guys reconnect. This time, he's not your boss. How did you go from there all the way to Napa Valley before coming back to Madison?
1: He has an older son. And so his older son's friend's dad was looking for some advice about a school lunch program in his school. And so Joe was like, I know somebody that, you know, kind of does that. So he reached out and we were both single and we started this long distance relationship and I eventually moved out there.
0: Wow. And then during that time, you guys were close to opening up a restaurant there. What was we that were. like? What happened there?
1: Well, I have always wanted to own a business and Joe has always wanted to open a restaurant. So I think once we decided to get married and have kids and spend our lives together, I think that was sort of the path. And we started looking at places. We both really, really love Napa. And we lived in St. Helena and there was a restaurant that was empty on Main Street. And so we started thinking about you know what our restaurant would look like and be and got some funding and, you know, all the things that you do. And we were then, you know, literally the night before we were supposed to sign the lease, we were walking around on main street and it just like, didn't feel right. And so yeah. I was pregnant with our first K we were married, that you know, we had been, we got married about six months before that. And we decided that we wanted to think about other places to be, it didn't feel like it was a sustainable financial decision. And you know, having kids and a restaurant, we wanted to be closer to my family or two family, and we're super close to mine. So we ended up moving back to Madison.
0: Wow. And it's been five years since you've been back here.
1: It's been just about five years since we five moved back. Years. Yeah.
0: So how's that like for you now? What have you guys been up to since you've been back here? Other than, of course, opening up a restaurant?
1: I mean, babies and restaurant is really <laughs> what it has been. <laughs> We, and the pandemic, of course, (laughs) the wonderful pandemic. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we have three kids who are five and under. And when we got back here, we really started working on Harvey House. It took us just about three years to build it. And during that time, Joe left a few times to cook for some private clients and make some money. And then, you know, we just have been working on it kind of on and off and then opened in July of 2021. Mm.
0: The Alice Waters Edible School Year Project is a nonprofit organization that aims to revolutionize the approach of children towards food and its consumption. Based on the fundamental principle that a garden and kitchen can be utilized as an educational space, the project emphasized the significance of nourishment, community, and sustainable living. Through her association with the project, Shana received an opportunity to gain unique insights into the culinary industry, which went beyond the conventional realm. Additionally, her professional relationship with Alice Waters was exceptional and further added to her learning experience. Shifting our focus towards the Harvey House, I would like to extend my appreciation to Shana and her husband, Joe, for providing Rob and me with an exceptional dining experience. The creation of the Harvey House, which we will discuss further, has managed to capture modern nostalgia, not only through its food offerings, but also through its ambiance. As a Madison classic, the Harvey House holds a special place in the hearts of its patrons and Shana and Joe's attention to creating an Inviting atmosphere for their guests is truly commendable. Well, let's get into it now. Let's talk about the Harvey okay. House. So, I had the chance to eat there with Rob, and it was great. We had a wonderful time. I mean, we really did feel like, I think I said it last time, like superstars and like, you know, just the star of the restaurant, basically. How important was that kind of instilling that mindset to everybody that whoever comes into the door, you guys will be treated as the same as someone else here?
1: I mean, it's really important to us that hospitality is like at the center point of everything that we think about and thought about when building the restaurant and mm-hmm. making sure that, you know, people have a real experience. And, you know, we I try to do that through the design as well as, you know, Joe through the food and then through the hospitality. I think all three of those things are equally important.
0: Yeah. Well, you were in St. Helena. You were very close to opening up a restaurant there. What was it like the day before? That's when you guys realized that's like, yeah, you can't do it. You come back to Madison, you know, you decide that you want to be closer to family. You want to open up a restaurant here. Then you guys see this old empty train depot. When you guys first saw the space, what was the initial thought?
1: Well, we were like, this is it. I mean, we had looked at a few other places that were in new construction, and we both are like, you know, into history and loved the idea of creating a restaurant in a historically significant building. I think, you know, just having old bones already sort of gives this sense of of magic or something that mm-hmm. I don't think that we were finding that we were getting in the other spaces we were looking at. So we signed the lease and didn't really completely know what we were getting into, but got started.
0: Well, the Harvey house itself is not only a nod to your grandfather, but in part kind of like the movement stem from Fred Harvey, which I learned all about this while doing the research on you, the Fred Harvey company, and then also the Harvey girls. What made you guys kind of take that inspiration from Fred Harvey, also your grandfather and open up a supper club, but with the same feeling of those old Harvey houses?
1: The Harvey stuff all started because when we decided to sign the lease in the train station, we started reading about train travel and just train dining and all that kind of Mm. stuff. And Fred Harvey inevitably came up because he had started a chain of restaurants along train lines before there were train dining cars, trying to elevate, you know, dining when you're traveling. And we loved that story. And there's so many stories and so many people that have, you know, specific lovely stories about working for him or working in those restaurants called the Harvey Houses. And then my paternal grandfather's name is Harvey. So I think the family connection and then the, you know, historical connection, it just, we felt like it was the right fit for that. Mm -hmm. And then as far as like the supper club goes, I mean, we started eating around Wisconsin when we got back here and really fell in love with many elements of a supper club. That Mm -hmm. sense of generosity, that sense of, you know, lingering, that sense of fun and, you know, celebration. All of those things were things that we wanted to incorporate into our restaurant in some way. And so felt like, you know, there were elements of the supper club vibe and then also the supper club food that we wanted to pull in. I wouldn't call ourselves a supper club. And I do think that sometimes when somebody thinks that we are a traditional supper club, they are surprised (laughs) (laughs) because we are not. But I think that the I'm really happy with the elements that we are able to pull in.
0: Yeah, that's, I mean, I remember going into it thinking, you know, it's a very traditional supper club. And then I leave the place and I'm like, well, that was not what I expected it to be. It's like a, <laughs> It was like a whole experience that like in a whole journey that I took through a meal, which was awesome. But speaking of the elements, like outside of maybe the menu and the food, you know, you're the creative director of the Harvey House and you kind of oversee a lot of what's going on at the restaurant. But when you when we're going into kind of the design and some of the aspects of it, what were some of the important things that you kind of took into mind when developing what it would look like?
1: Well, we had lots of help with the design. And the way that we wanted it to be thought about was we wanted there to, to feel, we wanted there to be several spaces so that if somebody mm-hmm. dined there you know, which we have regulars who dine once or twice a week, that they could sit in different spaces and feel like they were, you know, having a little bit different of an experience. We also wanted, like I said, the generosity component really flows through a lot of the way that we thought about design as well. And just a sense of experience, again, I guess is the best word for it, but you aren't in Madison, not that there's anything wrong with being in Madison, but just Mm -hmm. that you have a night that you're sort of like, where am I? And it, I think, helps somebody. To really enjoy the people that they're with, and enjoy the food, and kind of you know escape from their life for a moment.
0: If someone were to go into the restaurant without knowing anything about it, how would you kind of describe the ambiance, kind of the design itself? Like someone's just coming into it blind. What would you kind of tell them?
1: Ooh, that's a hard question. <laughs> um, I think. I mean, maybe modern nostalgia. That's mm. something that we have thought about throughout the process, too. I guess that would be the the most succinct way
0: I think that <laughs> I think that's the best way to describe it because I was going to say with the whole aspect of modern nostalgia, it's like when I went to eat the food, kind of had the whole experience there. It's like it felt like something I remembered, almost like a past memory in a way. But then now I'm reliving it in this more modern, more dynamic aspect of it, and I, I thought love that, that. I think it was a really cool thing. That's just like I've gone, you know, living in the Midwest. I think a lot of us have gone to eat at different like supper clubs and different types of restaurants. But it felt like an accumulation of everything into like a whole space, which felt really cool, and I I really like that. But you kind of wow. talked about how you split up the restaurant in different aspects. I felt like, you know, where we were at, it's like every little part that we kind of walked through was its own little space, if that makes sense. Is that something that Uh you kind of kept in mind? Because I know, you know, Rob and I were able to sit at where, right by the kitchen and see that all happen. But then as we were leaving and you look to the right, you see that there's a whole another space. Then you also know there's a space upstairs. Is that kind of how you guys thought about it, just making everyone kind of feel not enclosed, but really comfortable with each other and kind of really, you know, just cozy with each other.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's a big restaurant. So we, you know, on a busy night, we'll do 250 people. And so we wanted it to feel more intimate than a room with 200, you know, not that we do 250 people at the same time, but, you know, we wanted it to feel like it was cozy, like you're saying, or intimate mm-hmm. or special, but also the space itself does lend itself to sort of smaller spaces. We could have opened some spaces up, but, you know, with the old bones of it all, we wanted to keep as much as we could of the um, original details. And so we left them and like the different spaces so that it does give Mm -hmm. you that sense of special.
0: Yeah. I mean, when I first... Like I live right by the Harvey. So it's great because I walk past it every day, you know, get to experience that. But do you guys still have the old train cars there? Like, was there any particular reason that you wanted to keep that there and kind of incorporate that within the restaurant?
1: So the train cars were brought actually in from Mexico. They're old FTA New York City <laughs> subways, subway trains. But they were brought by the landlord before ours and they were laid on a fake track. So they were there and... We loved the idea of having a train, you know, a dining car that we could serve people in. So Mm. we do rent one of the trains and we did, you know, style it out in like an old kind of fashion train way. There is a functional train track on the other side of that. So when you are sitting in the train, sometimes there will be a train that goes by, which I like, but yeah, it wasn't necessarily, I mean, they were there and we loved them. and, And so it became part of our special events offerings.
0: Is that kind of where a lot of the more private dining is held, kind of allowing everyone to really be with each other in a more intimate, but also like closed off space?
1: Yes, yeah, so we have the train for that. We sometimes will do a ticketed event on there as well. And then we mm. also have another space that we call the office and we do work in there, but it's just an extension of the train track. So it's right next door to the restaurant and... I like that space as well. We also sometimes do do parties upstairs or mm-hmm. a full buyout of the restaurant as well.
0: That's awesome. Well, now you guys have been open for a year and a half now. Like how have you seen the restaurant grow not only in terms of like the consumer basis and like the brand recognition, like everyone in Madison I think knows what the Harvey is. You know, always thinks about going there, but the idea of bringing back people's appreciation for a new age outside of like new age midwest supper club and kind of the hospitality included with that idea of a supper club or you know what you have said it's like kind of grown past that
1: well thank you i mean i it's grown past that because people make it their own you know it's mm-hmm. our team and it's also our guests that really have taken it and run with it and i think that part was hard for me at first to let go Of those details, but it's so much better for it. And I think, you know, classics are classics for a reason.
0: Yeah. Not that
1: we are, but you know, taking (laughs) different classic elements is, I guess, is what I mean, you know, has been helpful in defining our style, both from the physical space to the food to the hospitality. But taking some of those classic supper club elements are familiar to people. Like when you say, you felt like you had been there before that, you know, mm-hmm. it was like an updated experience, I think, because we've really tried to learn from people who have done it before.
0: Yeah. Is that something that you kind of see grown in the restaurant industry itself, where it's like new restaurants are taking elements of something very nostalgic and updating it and reigniting it with their own kind of spit on it? Is that something you've been seeing?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's been done for on and off throughout the history of restaurants, just cause there's like, you know, only so much it's, it's like, it's food. So there's only so <laughs> many things you can do. Of course, you know, there are some people that go, you know, very, very creatively with it, but mm-hmm. from the style that we do, you know, there's recipes and nobody's coming up with like a brand new recipe that nobody has ever done before. So right. I think, You know, we, like I said, you know, both Joe and I have had really incredible mentors and opportunities to learn from people who do it well. And so I think we try to take what we can. And I hope that, you know, and I imagine that most people that are in any industry try to do that with their mentors as well.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, now with the Harvey House basically fully established and integrated within the Madison culture, what are the aspirations for you and Joe in 2023? And how do you like kind of intend to advance that?
1: We have lots of work to do still on the Harvey House. I appreciate all of your lovely compliments. (laughs) um, But, you know, we see it that we've just gotten started on Mm -hmm. getting things established. We are starting brunch at the end of April. So that will be very fun. Um, fun. And we have some fun events and things that we're going to do ticketed on the train. I'm looking forward to those. And then there's just a lot of, you know, sort of nuts and bolts work that needs to be done that we continue to work on every day.
0: Mm -hmm. That's awesome. So, you you know, you see the Harvey as basically it's on its own feet, but now you're ready to basically push it into bigger and better. Is that kind of how you imagine that?
1: I mean, I think that restaurants or anything, you know, any kind of business, any small business is always kind of a work in progress. And Mm -hmm. I mean, just because it's, you know, we're open seven days a week and we have we have an incredible team, which I feel so grateful for. But I think it will always be a work in progress. It's a group of people using Mm. perishable things. (laughs) (laughs) So there's like so much room for mistakes and so many opportunities for, you know, great things to happen. So I think Joe and I will both feel like there's, it is a never ending lifelong
0: project. Well, that's kind of all the questions I have. Something I definitely wanted to ask you is, let's say there's someone, you know, in the shoes of they want to tap into the restaurant and the hospitality industry. How would you teach someone that? Or what kind of advice would you give someone that wants to really integrate themselves within this?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that it's hard work. It's really satisfying. Mm-hmm. It's not very glamorous. <laughs> um, but I think that the like lessons that are learned from this industry are completely invaluable. And I love it
0: nice well that's all i have where can awesome. the people find you you know if you want to shout out the harvey go on ahead that's it
1: well cool. yeah i'm at the harvey house <laughs> all
0: right thank you so much shana
1: thank you so much andrew i really appreciate it
0: thank you for tuning into today's episode once again i'm your host andrew and i want to thank shana for taking the time to speak with me today and to sam Warner for creating the music you heard on today's episode This episode was about how the experiences you gain from your journey can expand to a further endeavor you may have. So if you know someone in that position, share with them this episode. You can find me and the shop on Instagram at Andrew Inamoto and at underscore August Shop. And find August located on 414 State Street, Madison, Wisconsin or on august-shop.com. Once again, thank you for listening to the August Forum.